Good morning. Has anybody here ever been scared? Most of us have been. Um, now, I have to tell you, I don't usually do themed sermons. Uh, Jacob and I make fun of people who do themed sermons. Um, but this, it, it kind of worked out so that um, I'm going to share with you today a, a one-sentence horror story. But before I do that, and this story actually comes from Scripture, don't freak out, um, I'm going to share with you a couple of times that I've been scared in my life. Um, most people in here have seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, right? Well, I'll tell you, the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz petrified me. I can remember, and for those of you who are younger than me, no, I did not see it in theaters, okay? It came out in 1939. I'm not that old. Um, we were watching it on TV, and I remember we had a blue chair in the den, and I ran and hid behind the blue chair. And I would peek out to see if they were gone yet. When they weren't on the screen, I was fine. But the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz petrified me. And there was another time, um, I might have been 10 or 11, and I obviously had had a nightmare, and I woke up, and my head was at the foot of the bed, and my feet were pointed towards the head of the bed. And y'all, I did not know where I was. I didn't know I was in my own bed or in my own room or in my own house. I was petrified. Things were turned upside down and I could not make sense of anything that was going on. Finally, I calmed down enough to realize what had happened. You know, I turned around and I went to sleep and forgot about it. And since then, pretty much, I haven't been that scared of anything. Um, scary movies don't bother me. It, they just don't seem to faze me. Um, now, I, I am scared of snakes. That is a phobia that I have, okay? Um, outside of that, not a whole lot scares me. Until I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, um, and if you want to turn with me to that, Jesus is speaking, and um, you know, th this is a, a long. We don't, we don't know if this was all said all at the same time, but starting in chapter five at the Beatitudes, um, when Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Um, Matthew records all of it together, <clears throat> but we're not sure if it was part of the Sermon on the Mount or if he was just saying this to his disciples. But regardless, um, we'll walk through this. Watch out for false prophets. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, so far so good. Nothing about that's too scary. Um, you know, Jesus is warning, at least His disciples, to beware of people who claim to be one thing and are something else. No problems there. And Jesus asked a couple of questions. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Well, what's the obvious answer to that question? No, they do not. Or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. And just so you know, here's the scary part. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Um, for, for those, I, was, I was reading out of the NIV, for those of you who have different translations, the King James says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. The English Standard Version says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, the NASB says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And if you look at the who Jesus is talking about, it says that they said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Well, if you look at those things, it would seem that the people that Jesus is talking to are saved, right? Because they prophesied, they drove out demons, they did miracles. In this day, those are things that the spiritual elite did. Like, they were the A-team. Those, the, those are the ones you send out when you play Georgia or Alabama. Or in this year, Tennessee, actually. But what does Jesus say to those people? I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. How terrifying is that? For somebody to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've done all these things. I, I acted like I was supposed to. I sang in the choir. I taught Sunday school. I was a deacon. I spoke on Sunday morning. And have Jesus reply, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. <laughs> That's the scary part. You know, being separated from Christ for all of eternity. 
And to have Jesus say, I don't know who you are? That's hard to swallow. But we know Jesus. But that's not quite enough, is it? For us to know who Jesus is, right? Um, I hope everybody in here knows who Michael Jordan is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not his biggest fan. Um, I used to know a whole lot about him. Um, I know he was born in Wilmington, went to Carolina, and then played for Chicago. And everybody in here can think of a celebrity or someone that they know a lot about. You know, if it's a someone in the sports world, they might know every stat that they've had through their high school, college, and professional careers. But you know what? Even if I knew all of those things about Michael Jordan, if I walked up to his house and knocked on the door, is he going to let me inside? No, he's not. He's not even going to come to the door. He's not even going to yell down from the top floor and say, go away. He's going to send his security team to put me in a headlock and drag me away from his place. Because he does not know me. Even though I may have followed his career his entire life and know every fact about him, he doesn't know me. And there's the difference right there. Now, if by some chance at some point I had met Michael Jordan and we had become friends and he knew me, and I walked up to his house, he would let me in. How should we expect Christ to be any different? When we die and go to heaven and we face judgment, it's not going to matter how many things we know about Jesus. If we've memorized all four Gospels, if we know every miracle He did, everywhere He went, times, dates, places, none of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is the fact that He knows us. Okay? We can do all the stuff that Christians are supposed to do, right? But none of that makes us saved. And, you know, while I was working through this, at one point I kind of wanted to pull my hair out and beat my head against the wall. Because it seems like two different things are being said. But that's not really true. Um, the question comes up, well, if... if prophesying and driving out demons and working miracles doesn't save you. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? If you look in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we find out what we're supposed to do. Uh, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. 
And that sounds very simple. Um, but all of the things that we do don't save us. Repentance and belief is what saves. Um, the only, and this might sound kind of harsh, but the only thing that we have ever actually done, the only action we've ever taken for our salvation is to commit the sin that made our salvation necessary. Y'all understand that? We don't do anything to be saved. The only thing we've ever done that had anything to do with our salvation is commit the sin that made it necessary. Jesus is the one who saves. We repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. Okay, here's another part where you start banging your head against the wall. You say, but hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just read, you just read right up here about good fruit and good trees. And in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And no, I'm not talking out of both sides of my face. It is God's will that you repent and believe. Ultimately, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, I believe, it says, God would that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that you be saved. When you repent and believe, you are doing God's will. And some of you are going to say, well, now hang on, Dave, there's a little bit more to it than that. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Because Christ also says, by your fruit you will know them. Now, here's the thing. If you go plant an apple tree, a, a sapling, if you go plant an apple tree, Charles, this is a question for you. How many years does it take for you to get fruit off of an apple tree? Seven years. So I can plant an apple tree in the ground and for seven years, how do I know that's an apple tree? Because it's an apple tree. And in seven years, we're going to see fruit. Having that piece of fruit hang off of the branch doesn't make it an apple tree. But because it has that fruit on it, we can tell that it is an apple tree. Do you see the difference? Another example is, I'm, I'm glad Ben's not here because I'm going to use him as an example. Another example is Ben. There's no doubt in anybody's mind that Ben is my son. Okay? Unfortunately, he looks like me. He walks like me. It's just who he is. Okay? But a hundred years from now, if you dug up our bones and you compare them, you would be able to tell that Ben is my son from DNA, right? That's something that can't be changed. He is who he is. 
it fundamentally, Ben is my son. There's nothing he can do to change that. The way y'all know that Ben is my son is because of his facial structure, the way he looks, his mannerisms. But if you took all of that away, he would still be my son. Deep down, in his bones, in his DNA, he's mine. It's the same difference with someone who is saved and someone who is not saved. If you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, deep down inside of you, in your bones, you have been transformed into a new creation. You are something different. And because you have been made into something different, you will end up producing good fruit. Okay, you don't produce good fruit and then say, hey, Jesus, see this fruit, I'm saved, right? No, Jesus saves you, changes you into something new. And you start producing good fruit. One follows the other. The works follow the salvation, not the other way around. It doesn't work that way. Um, another example would be someone who was born into royalty. Um, and it, it took me a while to figure this out. <clears throat> Um, I had to do some research because I'm sure some of you follow who the royal family is in England, but I do not. And I had to look up, um, and I can't even remember his name, the, the, the guy who's going to be king after Charles, Prince William, William, that's his name. He's got three kids, right? Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis, or Louis, however they pronounce it. Okay, those three kids, George and Charlotte and Louis, do they have to do anything to be royalty? No. That's just what they are. Now, over time, they'll be taught and they'll grow up and they'll learn how to be in practice what they already are in position. And that is a whole other lesson about sanctification, and I'm not, I don't really want to get into that, but that's the way we have to look at our lives as Christians. You, when you are saved, you are reborn. You are made new into something else. You are born as a child of the king. You can't do anything about that. You can't change that new nature. The same way Ben can't change who he is as my son. The same way an apple tree can't just change into something else. It's in their very nature. And because apple trees produce apples and Ben's hair is blonde, in the same way when we are reborn, 
when our nature is changed, we are a good tree. And we will produce good fruit. We really don't have a choice in that. And my challenge to you this morning is, if you're not producing good fruit, you really need to take a look at yourself and ask yourself, if I'm not producing good fruit, am I really saved? And that's scary. I know, because when I was preparing for this, I had to ask myself that same question. And if you're honest with yourself, like I had to be honest with myself, there's some times where I don't feel like I'm producing good fruit. There's times in my life where, you know, I look at the fruit that I have and it's, it's bruised and it's rotten and shriveled up. We used to have a, a Granny Smith apple tree in our yard and we just planted it. We didn't water it. We didn't fertilize it. We didn't take care of it. And we never got good apples off of it. And sometimes that's how I feel about the things in my life. It's just not good enough. But our Savior, in another passage of Scripture, and it's, that's a whole other lesson, our Savior prunes us and makes us into more than what we are so that we can't produce good fruit. But I think we need to look at our lives and analyze the kind of fruit that we produce. Is it good fruit? Or is it bad fruit? Because Christ plainly says, by your fruit you will know them. And you know, going back to the example of being <clears throat> being my son, you know, above and beyond how he looks and his mannerisms, you know, when when Ben does something that I'm proud of, you know, I can stand back and I can smile and I can say, you know, that's my son, and I'm proud of him. And we should want Jesus to do the same thing to us. We don't do good works or bear good fruit so that we can be saved. We do those things because we've already been saved. And I'll be honest with you, I want to make Jesus proud of me. Um, I, don't, I don't want Him to have to make excuses why I'm not as good as He has made me to be. At the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions when we look at this passage of Scripture. What kind of fruit do you bear? Are you bearing fruit? When Jesus saves someone and changes their nature, they can't help but produce good fruit.
And I don't know, I don't know where you stand this morning. Well, I take that back. Yeah, I do. I do know. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to repent and believe. If you are already a Christian, you need to repent and improve your relationship with Christ so that you can produce good fruit. There's really no way to walk away from this passage of Scripture without understanding that you need to repent. Either initially as an act of salvation or as a Christian who, who needs to be in a right relationship with his Savior. As our musicians come this morning, I, I, I beg you to look at your life. If you, if you don't bear good fruit, there's a reason for that. And don't walk away from this place unchanged. God's Word changes people, whether they want it to or not. If you have a need, Jacob is going to be here after the service. I mean, you can, you can make any kind of decision you want to right where you sit. But don't leave this place unchanged. Let us pray. Lord God, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, thank You for salvation. God, I, I, I praise Your name that You have changed me. And God, I pray that moving forward, I would produce fruit that makes You proud. Not so that You will save me, but because You have already saved me. Lord, I pray that You would move in hearts this morning. Lord, help us to throw away pride and vanity and to humble ourselves before You so that we might be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.